Yesterday was an incredibly powerful day. It was unusual. We had, it was like a revival service. Crazy, awesome. But yesterday was also plagued with technological difficulties, so much so that we couldn't even live stream the service. We had to rebroadcast it at 6 p.m. last night. And even then, the audio of our recording of the Sunday morning service yesterday failed halfway through my sermon. So, the first 25 minutes of the sermon that you're about to listen to, the audio is clean. But at a certain point around the 25 minute mark, the quality of the audio drops off. Although, you can still hear and understand everything that's said. But with that being said, I still want to encourage you to listen to this message because this is what the Lord is saying to the church at this moment. And uh, yesterday was really special. It was really, really important. And I don't want you to miss it. Uh, I also want to assure you that we're doing everything in our power to rectify the situation with our technology. We're making some changes in the next week or so. You know, when you spend three, four $400,000 on an AV system, you just expect it to work. And so we're just very disappointed that we have had problem after problem after problem after problem, but we also don't want to make excuses. Our job is just to fix it so that we can provide a consistent resource for your spiritual life. Rebuilding the altar of the Lord, I hope you are blessed and encouraged by this message. Have a great day. We're going to uh, open our Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 22 through 24. 22 to 24. This is what it says. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. I pray it in Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. I pray that our ears would hear, our minds would understand, and our hearts would respond. In Jesus' name. I want to give you a little bit, bit of background so you understand this scene here in 1 Kings chapter 18. This was a time in Israel in which there was a string of wicked kings. Ahab was on the throne. He was the wickedest of wicked kings. But there was a prophet by the name of Elijah. God would speak through the prophet to the people. In 1 Kings chapter 17, the prophet Elijah spoke by the word of the Lord and declared that there would be a famine on the land. The famine, God would take away the rain, was a sign of God's discipline, not God's punishment. How many know that there's a difference between God's discipline and God's punishment? When God disciplines you, he treats you like a son or a daughter. When God punishes you, he treats you like a criminal. God don't treat us like criminals. He treats us like sons and daughters. He disciplines us for our good so that he might show us more of his benevolence and mercy. God was disciplining Israel by taking away the rain. Hopefully, they would come to a place where they craved the rain so intensely that they would return to the Lord who gives them rain. God often does that in our lives. 
we must learn to see every moment of lack as an experience in which God is calling us back to himself, back to his heart. Whatever I lack, if I need money, I need to learn how to cry out to the God who supplies my money. If I need love, I need to learn to cry out to the God who supplies my love. The problem is that we misinterpret our experiences of lack quite frequently. We interpret it to mean that God has abandoned us and we end up turning to idolatry. Well, if God's not going to provide for me, then I'm going to find something else to provide for me. If God ain't giving me a spouse, then I'm going to make provision for my own needs or simply find somebody else. God's not giving me a Christian man or a Christian woman, then I'll take a non-Christian one. It don't matter. I, I'm going to look for a way to satisfy my own needs. I thought God would do it. He didn't do it. So therefore, I'm justified in taking matters into my own hands. This is what was going on in Israel. And they were engaging in what we call idolatry. Idolatry is when you worship and serve anyone or anything other than the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Their particular form of idolatry was Baal worship. The name of the deity that they worshiped was named Baal. Matter of fact, King Ahab had a queen by the name of Jezebel, and she brought in 450 prophets of Baal with her. Baal worship had two primary components. The first component was cult prostitution. Imagine it, all the men of the area where the temple of Baal was would come to the temple of Baal and the ministry staff at the temple were all women, prostitutes. And they would sleep with the men in the sanctuary for a fee, which was their version of tithes and offerings. And that was their worship. They called that worship, that was their ritualistic worship. They would have cult prostitution, they would have sex in the sanctuary. So the first component of Baal worship was satisfying your basest pleasures. That was their worship. Satisfying your deepest lusts. You know what the second component of Baal worship was? Child sacrifice. Child sacrifice. They had a statue of Baal that was made of steel and they, Baal's arms would be crossed like this. And they would put oil in this area of his arms. They would light a fire underneath and it would heat up and the oil would start to boil. And they would take the babies and they would put them in the oil and burn them to death. They would boil the babies in this boiling oil and they would be singing songs of worship to Baal as they would offer them their children. Now, when you put those two things together, you've got cult prostitution, which produces babies. And then you've got child sacrifice, which was their version of abortion. I'm not trying to get political. I'm just telling the truth. This is in the Bible. What Baal worship came down to was do what you like, satisfy your deepest desires, and then kill the consequences. Now we understand why Baal worship displeased the Lord so much. Now we understand why it displeased the Lord so much that he shut off the rain. In the Middle East. Hot. Dry, arid, without the rain you die. That was the point. And Elijah shows up on the scene in 1 Kings 17 and he declares, the Lord says there's not going to be any more rain, nor dew, nor sleet, nothing until uh, without my word. And sure enough, for more than a year, or three years, I can't remember what it was, there's no rain. Three years, thank you, David. Chapter 18 comes. God says, that's long enough. Now there's going to be a showdown between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of the Lord. One prophet of the Lord, 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah sends a message to King Ahab, gather all Israel on the mountain. 
and God's going to send rain on the earth. Everybody gathers on the mountain. 450 prophets of Baal are there, 400 prophets of Asherah. And Elijah stands before the people and says, why do you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. But if Baal is God, serve him. The people answered Elijah, not a word. Elijah says, all right, here's what we're going to do. This is what I'm trying to get to. Build one altar. There's only one altar. Prepare two sacrifices. Two sacrifices, one altar. One is the sacrifice of Baal, and the other is the sacrifice to the Lord. Same altar, two different sacrifices to two different gods. You can come to the right altar and worship the wrong god at that altar. You're not saved because you worship at the right altar when your heart is not worshiping the right god. You think because you come to the church that believes right that you're going to heaven because you're at a church that believes right? But if you don't believe right, you think it's okay. Well, I go to a church that serves Jesus, but if you don't serve Jesus, you know that there's plenty of prophets of Baal who worship in the house of the Lord. Plenty of prophets of Baal who come to the altar of the Lord and think they're okay because they're at the right altar you got to make the right sacrifice to the right God. And at the end of the day, God is not looking at the altar to which you come. He's looking at the altar in your heart. Are you worshiping your own desires? Are you worshiping the Lord? So Elijah says, two bulls, one for Baal, one for God, one for the Lord. You prophets of Baal, 450 of you, you take the bull, kill it, Put it on the altar, but put no fire under it. You're going to call out to your God to send fire. Then I'm going to put my sacrifice on the same altar. I'm going to call out to my God to send fire. And the God who answers by fire, let him be God. And they said, all right, sounds good. Put verse 26 up there. So they took the bull. This is the prophets of Baal. They took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice No one answered. Then they leapt about the altar which they had made. (laughs) And when you read verses 27 and 28, it goes on to say how they, they were not only dancing, but they were cutting themselves and cutting one another. I mean, how does that work? I'll cut him, Bill. I swear I'll cut him. (laughs) Send fire. He's dead. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then Elijah starts taunting them. Why don't you cry a little louder? Maybe he's got bad reception. He's only got two bars. His Wi-Fi is down. Maybe he's on a journey. He's far away. You got to wait for him to get back from his journey. He even said, maybe he's lifting up the skirt, which in Hebrew is an idiom for sitting on the toilet. He says, your God is probably on the toilet. You got to give him some time. Needs a little space. What's Elijah's point? Baal isn't real. Why? Because Baal is a God fashioned in the image of man instead of man fashioned in the image of God. You've constructed Baal when you've constructed a theology and a belief system that's based upon your own desires, that's designed to satisfy your own needs, that's designed to fulfill your own image of what God should be like. When I hear people say, well, I can't worship a God who would blah, blah, blah. I can't worship a God who could send people to hell. As if you get to decide who God is and what God is like. As if you get to construct God. 
We be doing too much in this culture. We think too highly of ourselves. We think we get to create God. No, God created you. You don't create God. God creates us. Worshiping a God of your own creation is just as bad as atheism. At the end of the day, it is atheism because the God that you create with your own mind doesn't actually exist. But you know who exists? The God of Scripture, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God who brought Israel out of Egypt on eagle's wings and took them to the mount and revealed himself to that, on that mountain and said, I am Yahweh God who brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, half the day has gone by. The prophets of Baal are dehydrated. They're bleeding. Half of them have passed out and are unconscious. The other can't even stand up. And Elijah goes, that's long enough. Let's get these fools out of here. Put up verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people came to him. He says, when he says, come near me, where is he standing? He's standing at the altar. Come near me. You know what he's saying to the people? Come to the altar. Come here. God's got something to say to you, but he's going to say it at the altar. God's got something to break off of your life, but he's going to break it off at the altar. God's got something to reveal in you and to you and through you, but it gets revealed at the altar. Come here, people. Come near me. So all the people came near him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. This is the word of the Lord to us today. It's time to repair the altar. That's what I kept hearing in my spirit. It's time to repair the altar. It's time to repair the altar. The altar of the Lord has been broken down. It's in disrepair. It has been neglected. It's time to repair it. It's, why? Because no sacrifice can be laid on it until the altar is repaired. This area here that we call the altar used to be the center of our church. It used to be the center of our life. You knew if you came to church, God was going to meet us at the altar. And we waited for that part of the service, and we never knew when the altar was going to come. The altar could come in the middle of worship. The altar could come in the middle of the sermon. The altar could come during announcement. You never knew when the altar was going to come, and we never knew. We were just waiting for the Spirit of God to say, now call my people to the altar. And we would come to the altar and seek the face of God. And you know what's crazy? There were so many times where we'd be at the altar and the presence of God would be just so thick at the altar. And I mean, it was just thick at the altar. The Spirit of God and the power of God was moving at the altar. And sometimes I would walk to the back of the room and it was dead as a doornail. It was clear. God's up there. He ain't back here. God don't sit at the back and observe. He stands at the front and he moves. And if you sat at the back, you might not have known how powerful that service was, not just because you're sitting at the back row, but because you didn't come to the altar. You didn't come where the presence was hot. And so what we used to do is put intercessors at the back to pray that it would get hot at the back. And guess what? It never got hot at the back. Why? Because you've got to draw near to the altar of the Lord if you want the fire. The fire is always on the altar. It's an invitation, but you've got to come. 
And the Spirit of God spoke to my heart. And I, I know I, I, it's, 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 it's not your fault. It's my fault, really. Because, you know, I mean, I want a nice little service. I want a service that it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's palatable. I want a service that masses of people can come and understand. And so what we start to do is neglect the true essence of who we are. And I started to neglect the altar. And the Lord spoke to me this week and said, the altar is broken down. I'm calling you this week to repair it. I'm calling you this week to restore the altar. I'm calling you this week to call my people back to the altar. I'm still meeting my people at the altar, but you got to come back to the altar and you got to repair it. <laughs> Idolatry breaks down the altar. Do you know all that the, the prophets of Baal accomplished with their idolatry was breaking down the altar? That's all they did was destroy the altar. That's all they did was destroy the altar. At the end of the day, idolatry takes everything from you and gives nothing back to you. You're just expending your effort and getting nowhere, obtaining nothing. Elijah says, draw near me. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. And then he took his bull and he cut it up and he put it in pieces on the altar. Why? Because the altar is the place of sacrifice. We know the altar is the place of fire, but we don't realize that the fire doesn't come until the sacrifice is laid. We want the fire without the sacrifice. I'll never forget, I was preaching at a youth conference years ago in Fremont. There was 1,500 kids in the house, and I was crying out to God during worship, God, I want your fire. God, I want your fire. God, send your fire. And the Lord spoke to me and said, where's your sacrifice? I said, what do you mean? He said, my fire only comes on a sacrifice. Where's your sacrifice? You want my fire? Let me see your sacrifice. I said, Lord, what sacrifice are you asking for? He said, I want your honorarium for preaching tonight. Well, we needed that honorarium. I knew it was going to be about $1,500, $2,000. We needed that. We, we needed that, too. We needed that money. But the Lord said, that's the sacrifice I want. Thankfully, I got a gangster wife. <laughs> right? My wife is a gangster for Jesus. She's like, let's give it all. If Jesus asks for it, we're giving it. It's no problem. I said, baby, our sacrifice tonight is our honorarium for this. She goes, let's go. Is that what the Lord said? That's what the Lord said. Let's go. Let's go. And when we gave that, when we released that in our heart, the fire of God came. The young people flocked to the altar, and the presence of God was there. God says, where's the sacrifice? The, the altar is the place of sacrifice. If you neglect the altar, you neglect the place of sacrifice. Now, now, if you neglect the sacrifice, it doesn't mean you don't serve. It doesn't mean you stop giving. But it simply means that when I give and when I serve, I serve out of a different heart. I'm, I'm helping the church out. That's not the same thing as a sacrifice to the Lord. I'm doing my religious duty. That's not the same thing as a sacrifice to the Lord. A sacrifice to the Lord starts with a heart that says, God, my life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. Whatever you want, you can have it. Nothing is off limits to you. There's no holds barred. My entire life, everything, there's nothing that I have that I have not been given. And therefore, anything you ask for is yours. That's the heart of sacrifice. When we've neglected the altar, we've neglected the sacrifice. Neglected the sacrifice. Sometimes the sacrifice is something as simple as I remember, you know, if you know me, you know I have a very limited amount of emotional bandwidth. Most people don't know that about me. Every day I'm budgeting my bandwidth. 
So if you call me, I'm looking at your name and I'm going, do I have the bandwidth for this? And what's this going to cost me? Maybe it's going to cost me 45 units of bandwidth. I've only got 60. I'm calculating what I have to do for the rest of the day. And I know if I take this call right now, something's not going to get done today that's essential. So it's not that I don't love you, but I ignore that call. And I say, I'll call him back tomorrow because I've got less to do tomorrow and I'll have more bandwidth. So I'm budgeting all day long. I'm budgeting. That's just sorry. That's just I, that's my weakness. That's my frailty. And I remember one particular day, I got a call to go visit somebody in the hospital, an elderly gentleman who had a foot fall and had a hairline fracture all the way down his right thigh. And they said he would never walk again because at his age, it wasn't going to heal. And his daughter called me and said, will you come visit my dad in the hospital? And everything inside of me, I calculated the amount of bandwidth it would take. And I realized nothing else is going to get done today if I do that. And the Holy Spirit said, go. I'm like, come on, Lord. Who can I send? Who will go for me? And the Lord said, no, 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 no. You, you got it twisted. You don't send. I send. You're going to go to that hospital and you're going to pray for this gentleman. I said, okay, all right, I'll go. I get in my car. I'm driving there. It's got a 45-minute drive to the hospital. And five minutes into the drive, I get a phone call and I look at the name. I said, oh, Lord, no, Jesus, no. It's not that I don't love the person. But I have maybe, say, 50 units of bandwidth for the day. One conversation with this person is about 145. Un Literally, I'm, I'm going to be screwed for the next three, three days. If I talk to this person, it's, it's Tuesday. I'm going to be good for nothing until Friday. And the Lord said, answer the call. I'm like, Lord, you don't get it. I already spent 25 going to the hospital. Now you want me to spend another 145? Help a brother out. And the Lord said, answer the call. And I answered the call, and I talked to this person for 40 minutes. At the beginning of the call, she was suicidal. Well, by the time I pulled into the hospital, the Spirit of God had come so mightily in the car that I was prophesying, and the person was shouting, Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! I'm free! Glory to your name, Jesus! Thank you, Lord! All oh, the joy of the Lord! She was on, on a mountaintop. But what was crazy was I, I realized I was ministering to her. I didn't realize that this, this was ministering to me because I got out of the car on fire. I was like, where is this man? And I, I burst into the hospital. I was walking through the hospital like I owned the place. And I remember I got into the elevator to go up to his level, and I felt the power of God coming up through my legs. And the power of God was just coming through my feet and through my legs. And I'm like, ooh, I can't wait for this door to open. And as soon as the door opened, I burst into his room. And I said, stand up and walk in Jesus' name. And he jumped out of the bed and started dancing on the floor. And the doctors came in and saw the man dancing. And they were like, and they had the x-ray in, the doctor had the x-ray in his hand, and you could see the hairline fracture going all the way down his thigh. They took him in the x-ray room, did another one, and there was no fracture. It was completely gone. And they were like, well, we misdiagnosed you on that first one. That's what they say, right? Apparently, the first one was a, a misdiagnosis. It was a bad x-ray. <laughs> wow, you have zero faith in your equipment. Anything not to believe the Lord. The Spirit of God came through that sacrifice. 
God's waiting for me to sacrifice some of my bandwidth so that the fire of God can come. The thing that I want to guard and preserve, that's what God's asking me for. His fire comes through the sacrifice. Secondly, the altar is the place of fire. When you put a log in a fire, how much of that log does the fire consume? Does the fire take 50% of it and go, you know what, I'm full. Whew, that was enough. I'll come back and finish the rest of that log later. Fire is insatiable. You give it something, it takes all of it. The Spirit of God is also insatiable. You give him your life, he takes all of it. The fire of God doesn't stop until he has consumed all of you, until he has filled your entire life. When you establish, when you establish yourself in the place of sacrifice, the fire of God comes and consumes all of you. He comes and takes all of you. He wants every thought taken captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. He wants every word, every intention, every action. He's not done. He's not going to stop. The fire of God is not going to stop in my life until he has all of me. And I often look at my life and say, he's only got half the log, but he's working on the other half the log. And if I keep coming back to the altar, back to the altar, the fire of God is going to eat up a little bit more of me until all of my life belongs to him, until every part of my life belongs to Jesus. He consumes all of me. But when we neglect the altar, we start backtracking. It's like putting a fire in, re in rewind, and all of a sudden, the fire starts to retreat, and we start taking back parts of our life that we've committed to God. We start taking back parts of our life that God has already consumed. We start taking back stuff that God already freed us from. We start going back to stuff that God already delivered us from. Why? Because we've neglected the altar. And then what happens is we start saying, well, here's, here's what I'm going to do to try to free myself. Here's the boundaries and the program that I'm going to set myself set for myself to, make, to help myself get free again, not realizing that my freedom is back at the altar. In the absence of the altar, we all try to become our own redeemers. We try to cleanse ourselves. We try to wash ourselves. We try to sanctify ourselves. But Jesus says that the gift is sanctified by the altar. When freedom comes from laying my all on the altar before God. The altar is the place of fire. But not only that. The altar is the place of fellowship. Do you know what they would do in the temple and in the tabernacle? In the, under the Old Covenant. They would take the sacrifice, they would lay it on the altar. But at a certain point, they would start cutting out big hunks of meat and eating it. It was also a barbecue. There was a portion of it that was completely consumed to give to God, but there was a portion that God would give back to the community and say, I want you to share this, I want you to eat this, meaning when you come to make sacrifice, there's also fellowship sacrifice. The fellowship is in the sacrifice. The altar is the place of sacrifice. The altar is the place of fire, but the altar is also the place of fellowship. It's the place where we discover what it means to be the family of God. We find fellowship with God, and because we find fellowship with God, we find fellowship with one another. Psalm chapter 50, verse 5 says, gather to me my chosen ones, those who have made covenant with me through sacrifice. There's a fellowship to be found in the fire of sacrifice. 
You find fellowship with other believers who are standing in the fire of sacrifice. Fellowship with other believers who have committed themselves to living for God. Fellowship with other believers who have made the decision, I'm going to follow Jesus with all of my life, with all of my heart. That, that is, when you come to the altar, you find fellowship with others who are standing at the same altar. Worshiping the same God. Making the same sacrifices. I'll never forget being in Israel in 1995. Going to the western wall of the temple again and again and again to pray. Going as early in the morning as I possibly could get up. Because God promised King Solomon that he would hear every prayer offered at that temple. And, I mean, I told all my friends before, when I was so excited, I'm like, if you got prayer requests, just write them down on a little sheet of paper and just give them to me. And I had so many friends that gave me this little scrap of paper rolled up, I never even read them. I would just go to the wall, I'd stick them in the wall, stick those requests in the wall, and then I would just pray for it. Whatever was requested, because God promised Solomon he was going to hear prayers offered in this place, and he would answer. I got home, there were so many answers to prayer. So many of my friends called me and said, you won't believe it, but that, that prayer got answered. You won't believe it, God did it. I was praying for my uncle to get saved. He got saved while you were still there. I was praying for my cousin to be healed. He got healed while you were still there. Now, don't get me wrong. God can hear us in El Cerrito just as he can hear us at the wall. Because some of y'all are thinking, I better go to Israel with <laughs> you. If I get on a plane, you know, God will hear my prayer more. Like, no. But I remember one morning I was there at the wall, early in the morning, I was standing there and I was praying at the wall. All of a sudden, this gentleman next to me, he was praying at the wall. And he's wearing Jewish, you know, the Tupac thing, and the Yahweh, whatever it is, and he's praying and I'm praying, and he's praying in Hebrew, and I'm looking at him. Something happened. All of a sudden, almost supernatural, we just turned to speak towards one. And so we were standing right next to one another. And then you know how you lean in towards the we're leaning in, and next thing we got a prayer meeting. Two different languages. Just he and I at the And I'm praying in English and tongues, and he's praying in his language and tongues. Our spirits recognized each other. There was a fellowship that we had at that place of prayer, at that altar of prayer. There was a fellowship that we had there that transcended culture, transcended ethnicity, transcended language, transcended uh, nationality, transcended politics, transcended everything. Why? Because we were at the altar at the same time, worshiping the same God. This is what the church in America needs more than anything else, is to come back to the altar. Because we've allowed ourselves to be separated by politics. We've allowed ourselves to be separated by culture and by race and all of these things. And God is calling us back to the altar. We've forgotten how to allow our spirits to recognize one another. One of the most powerful experiences I ever had was at the Vatican in Rome in 2007. My wife and I were invited to be a part of a conference, a small gathering of, of Roman Catholic charismatics and independent Protestant charismatics. And we got in a room with these Catholic priests and nuns, and the power of the Holy Spirit started just And people were just getting blasted by the power of God. We went into the Vatican. We met with the head of the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of Christian Unity, third in command of the and this guy looked like he was preparing the weight of the world for sure. Because the Pope had given him an assignment to unify the church. <laughs> the whole church around the world. And he was telling us about the things he had been working on, the different dialogues he was building and so forth. And one of our pastors stood up and said, Sir, you look super burdened. Is it okay if we pray for you? And he goes, Please pray for me. 
Some think if you don't wear the Vatican, you're going to be respectful. But one of the charismatic nuns, as soon as he said, yes, please pray for me, she jumped up and went, and we all just stood up and we had a Holy Ghost prayer meeting in the Vatican. I love the charismatic renewal that happened in the 60s and 70s. Because the Holy Spirit fell on every denomination, on every, the Holy Spirit fell on the Lutherans and on the Catholics, the Holy Spirit fell on the Episcopalians and on the on the Presbyterians, the Holy Spirit fell on the Baptists. There was there were outpourings of the Spirit across denominational lines, across political affiliations. I mean, literally, we're in the room with Roman Catholics who believe differently about Mary than we do, believe differently about the saints than we do, but we're drinking of the same Holy Spirit, so we have fellowship. We're standing at the same altar, worshiping the same God, and so we have fellowship. We weren't able to work out our theological differences. We weren't able to work out our political differences, but we forgot about that because we're standing at the altar. And when you're standing at the altar, the only thing that matters is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we are worshiping Jesus. And that's the test because if you can't worship that Jesus, then now we can't have fellowship. That's the test. The altar is the place of fellowship. When we neglect the altar, we lose the sacrifice. And we lose the sacrifice. We lose the fire. And we lose the fire. We lose the fellowship. And once we lose the sacrifice and the fire and the fellowship, now we're on our own. Figure it out. Soak the sacrifice, soak the wood, soak the altar until it's finished. It's the most important. We pray a simple prayer. Lord, I pray that you would hear me. I pray that you'd answer my prayer so that everyone would know that you're God in everything. And that I gave everything I gave you. Consume the wood, consume the altar, and lift up all the water from the trenches. Verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, 
He is God. Literally in Hebrew, Yahweh, he is Elohim. Yahweh, he is Elohim. You know what they were saying? No more Baal. No more Asherah. No more standing on the fence. No more wavering between two opinions. No more serving God on Sunday and serving Baal the rest of the week. No more going back to the old ways and the old lifestyle. No more compromise. The Lord, he is God. God has ordained today as a day to come to the altar and say, no more. No more compromise. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Today, in this place, we are going to rebuild the altar of the Lord. We're going to repair the altar of the Lord. We're going to restore this altar in this place as the center of our community, as the heart of everything we do. It will once more be the altar of the Lord. That is who we are. That is who God has called us to be. That is what we contribute to the body of Christ. We are an altar. Listen, we might not have a lot of stuff that other churches have, but we have this. We might not have a lot of technology that other churches have, Spirit. This is who 